book of Amos. Amos chapter 3 tonight. One of the things I've been noticing as I go through the book of Amos is, you know, I've never heard anybody preach chapter by, or verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Amos. But at the same time, it's like, you know, pastors we know we're supposed to use the whole Bible. And almost every chapter has a verse that I've heard a text used from that chapter before. And, you know, sometimes preachers were real good at finding a line somewhere in the Bible and then just taking it and running with that. And I think almost every chapter we've done so far, I've seen the line in there where I was like, yeah, I've heard a sermon preached on that particular verse before, but they never really went into the whole passage and what it was talking about and the whole context of it. And I'm not saying any of those messages right a lot. I think it's okay to do that, you know, to take a phrase like that, and as long as what you're teaching is biblical, that's completely fine, it's acceptable. But it's always interesting when I'm, for the first time, really just kind of looking and getting the full context of it. It is very eye-opening, realizing, you know, there's actually more than one message in there if you uh, look at the full context. So let's go ahead, though, and we're just going to go uh, start reading in verse 1, and we'll just kind of read this chapter as we go. So Amos chapter 3, verse 1 says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So right here, God's reminding them, hey, I brought you out of Egypt. God's reminding them of something good that He has done for them. And because God has been so good for them, good to them, and they've gone and done just like the rest of the world, God says, I'm going to punish you for that. They're kind of getting special punishment, I guess you could say, special treatment, almost in a bad way, because of the fact that God had been so good to them. Okay, It's kind of like your parents. Other kids, a lot of times, will do something bad, but you're the only one they spank for. You know, why is that? Well, it's because you're their kid. You know, you're their child. You should know better. You know, the other kids, they don't know any better. Maybe their parents don't teach them not to do those things. But your parents, like, you know, I taught you. I taught you, you know, not to do that. I, you know, you know better than this. And so, a lot of times, you know, having good parents, you know, there's moments when it doesn't feel like it's beneficial. But it is beneficial. And for Israel, it was exceptionally bad that they had done this wickedness because of how good God had been to them. Uh, if you want to turn over there, look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 45. <clears throat> Frog in the throat tonight. <clears throat> it says, uh, Luke 12:45 says, But if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers, and that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. So notice this is somebody who knew God's will, but he didn't prepare himself. He didn't take heed. He didn't pay attention. And the Bible says he'll be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So right there we see a very clear principle in the Bible, to whom much is given, much is required. And when it came to Israel, 
they had been given a lot. I'll show you more scriptures on that in a little bit. But you look at that passage there, and it's like, you know, he's going to be beaten with many stripes. You know, that doesn't sound very nice. Getting beaten with stripes. You know, that's not something that you do, you know, with your children. Well, actually, you know, the Bible does command that we beat our child with a rod, and it uses the word beat. You know, if thou beatest him, it uses that, that term is in the book of Proverbs. But, you know, we do see in the Bible that one of the things they would do is they would lay stripes on people. That was a punishment. You say that's cruel. That's terrible. Well, let me ask you, what's more cruel? Taking a guy out in the town square, bearing his back, giving him a few lashes, sending him home, now he's got to work with the pain in his back, or locking the guy up in jail for months, now he can't provide for his family, now his family's suffering. You know, we, we need to rethink some of this stuff. Where if we just give the guy some stripes and he still has to go back and do his work, he can live with the pain of his mistake. He can live with the pain of what he did. Instead, everybody else pays when we put people in jail. I'm talking about for some of the little things. You know, where there are some things it would be nicer and be better for everybody if we just went, laid a few stripes on them. And you might say that's terrible. What's terrible is putting people in jail for little things. They didn't necessarily hurt anybody. And now we're making their family suffer. Taxpayers are paying to take care of these people. Don't look at verses like that and think the Bible's cruel. Okay? People look at that and they get freaked out by that. What we ought to get freaked out is by our legal system today. It's very messed up. It's very backwards. And it's very cruel. And I don't believe, I don't believe in cruelty. I don't believe, I believe in the death penalty, but I don't believe in torture. Okay? And so, we need to understand the Bible doesn't teach torture either. It teaches just, you know, dealing, it teaches a very good way to deal with sin. So other people will see it and beware. You know, we don't get to watch the people in jail. We're not seeing that. But if we could take our kids and let them see the guy get whooped, you know, beat with a whip, you know, our kids are going to pay attention. Say, you know what? I'm not going to break that law. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. So, just a little side lesson right there. Don't get freaked out by that verse. I think stripes is a very good way to go. All right. So, but here, but here's what God's talking about with Israel. They had been given so much. God was, God was going to require much for them. God's punishment that He is pronouncing on them in Amos chapter 3 is a pretty extreme punishment. But understand, they asked for it big time. Even more than the other countries that God had been prophesying doom against in the previous two chapters. And look at Romans chapter 3, what it says. You say, well, you know, what was so special for them? You know, why is God so much harsher to them? You know why? Because they had the advantage. They were advantaged people. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because unto them were committed the oracles of God. Did God give the Moabites the word of the Lord, or did He give the Jews the word of the Lord? You know, did God deliver the Egyptians, you know, from a strange land, or was it the Jews He delivered from a strange land? Okay, you think about all the miracles that God did for for the Jews. You know, did God win battles for the Ammonites? No, He did that for Israel. God did one thing after another for Israel. God gave them His law. God did one miracle after another, and yet they continually went and they rejected God's law. And God finally said, "Enough's enough. Judgment is coming." And I think He's reminding them in this chapter that you know, I know there's been some harsh judgment pronounced on you in chapter two, but You've asked for it. You've been given much, and I'm expecting something from you. And unfortunately, they failed big time. Romans 9.22 says, 
What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. Now, we don't have time to go through that whole chapter, but God specifically here is talking about the physical Jews. God called them the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Now, why is that? Because after all God had done for them, they rejected, they rejected. Even after what we see here in Amos, God ended up restoring them to the land, didn't He? And then later, the Messiah came. Jesus came. But then what did they do? They rejected the Messiah. They crucified Him. But then even after he, Jesus rose from the dead, He sends, He fills His uh, believers with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They preached the Gospel. He filled Stephen with the Holy Ghost. He preached the Gospel to the Jews. And what did they do? They killed Stephen. They rejected. They stopped their ears at the Word of God. And you know what? God says, enough's enough. I'm done. And God went and He referred to physical Jews as the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. Now, thankfully, just because somebody is a Jew doesn't mean that they are their only end is destruction because He says very clearly in this verse that you know He says, even of us whom He hath called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. Thankfully, Jews can still be saved. Jews can still go to heaven. Jews can avoid the coming destruction that's awaiting them. We know that you know Jesus said, uh, if another come in his own name, him will you receive? I believe that's a reference to the Antichrist. We know that they're going to follow the Antichrist. They're going to, uh, as a whole, they're going to accept him. But at the same time, they're not reprobate. They're not cast away. They can be saved if they will believe on Christ. They don't have to follow that in, even though that's what a vast majority of them are going to do. So, but Israel, they were punished greatly because they were given so much. But yet, they rejected, rejected, and eventually they even rejected the Messiah. So look at what it says in uh, back in Amos in verse 3. He says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, you've probably heard sermons on that before. Uh, that, that, and that's a, uh, just a good principle to take. That Yeah, two can't walk together except they be agreed. Uh, he says, Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den? If he have taken nothing, can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Basically, he's using all these scenarios that are just impossible. You know, you're not going to catch a bird without a snare. You know, you're not going to blow a trumpet without the people in the city, you know, fearing, getting scared. You know, you're, there's just certain things that aren't going to happen. There's cause and effect. There's things that don't go together. And you know what? Two people can't walk together except they be agreed. And unfortunately, Israel, they were rebelling against God. They were not walking with God. And you know what? God's not going to change for them. You know, He's the Lord. He changes not. God's not going to change for them. And God's going to remain holy. God's going to remain doing the right thing. And they, if they wanted to be safe, if they wanted to continue having the blessings of God, they needed to be walking with God, but they weren't. Why? Because they weren't in agreement. And so as a result of it, God ended up punishing them. There's just some things that don't mix. 
You know, look at Second Corinthians chapter six, uh, in verse fourteen. Another well-known passage of scripture that uh, totally lines up with what we're seeing here in in the book of Amos. Six fourteen says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial?" What part hath he that believeth with the infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, when he's saying, you know, what conquer hath Christ with Belial, you know, uh, you know, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? The answer to all of those questions is, there is none. Okay, there is none. Light and dark don't go together. There are some things that just don't mix, and unfortunately, we see in Israel throughout their history they had a problem of following other gods. That do, that doesn't work. Um, you follow God or nothing. You know, if you're going to get saved, you get saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ and Buddha and Muhammad and whoever. It's just Jesus. And you can try to mix Jesus with idols all you want, but He doesn't mix with idols. You got to pick one, and if you don't pick the right one, you're not going to be saved. You're not. You're not going to go to heaven. So look what it says in verse seven. It says, "Surely the Lord God will um, will do nothing, but He revealeth His secret unto His servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared; who will not fear? The Lord has spoken; who can but prophesy?" Publish in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, An adversary there shall be even round about the land and he shall bring down thy strength from thee and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Notice this evil thing that's coming, it was, it was not the Lord's doing, it was something that was because of their sin, is what he's saying here. You know, so some of the stuff that when you see these prophecies, when you see some, the wording that's kind of gets a little confusing sometimes, sometimes it's just kind of fancy poetic talk, okay? And most of us in here, we're not really poets and we don't really do that kind of stuff, but you do see that a lot in the Bible where things get, you know, very poetic. So when he's saying there in verse 7, you know, surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Okay, so notice what's happening here is once you know there there were some times when God would literally you know put his hand against Israel or put his hand against Israel's enemies, and he would cause bad things to happen. Remember when the angel came and it slew a multitude of people uh, with Israel because David numbered the people, or other times you would see where sometimes God would just cause a plague. To come on the people, you know there were many different things that God would physically do, but sometimes, and when when the prophets would come and they would prophesy things, it wasn't even necessarily God was doing it to them. This was just happening because of what they had done. And personally, what I think he's talking about right here, he's just saying, "Hey, you know, this isn't me that's doing it. I'm just telling, having my prophets tell you what's going to happen." And the thing is, we don't see this in the book of Amos, but we see this when you read books of First and Second Kings. You know, thankfully Judah 
got right and they had a revival for many years and it spared the judgment for them. You know, and their God ended up protecting them from their enemies because they got right. But in the case of Israel, they did not get right. They went and they were they continued to be disobedient. And so God here, He's you know, I'm just I'm telling the prophets what to say. I'm just telling you what's going to happen. And that's and a great lesson we can learn from that is you know, we should never kill the messenger. Okay? We've all heard things before that we didn't like, but you don't kill the messenger. Okay? If if a pastor gets up and he's preaching the Bible, even if you don't like it, okay, even if you disagree with it, don't kill the messenger. Okay? Don't kill me. I'm trying to just preach what the Bible says. This isn't my fault. And you know what? Sometimes the Bible tells us if we do certain things, bad things are going to happen. You know, and if I get up and I tell you that, it's not that I'm causing the bad thing to happen. It's just I'm letting you know. I'm warning you. I'm giving you a chance. We have some people out there today, and I think brother, I don't know, brother Major talked about it when he was here. If it was something at the Solning conference. I remember hearing somebody preach about. But that's where a lot of Calvinists get things wrong. Is they see how God has foreknowledge, you know, and God does have foreknowledge. God is sovereign. He is all those things. But just because God something knows something is going to happen, it doesn't mean that He necessarily made it happen. Was that here where that was said, or did I hear that at the conference? Because I don't want, I don't want to. Okay, good. Because I don't, I don't want to like repeat an illustration that you all just heard. All right. So you know, one illustration that was given. I, I listen to so much stuff; it all runs together, and I don't even know where it comes from. But one illustration that they gave—I don't remember who gave it. They were talking about, you know, if, if I go and I watch a ball game, and I, it's a, I, I record a ball game and I watch it, and then I come over to your house the next day and we watch it together, and I start telling you what's going to happen, and then it gets over, and exactly what I said is going to happen happens. The exact score I said was going to end with. It ends with that. You wouldn't look at me and say, you made that happen. Would you? Just because I have foreknowledge doesn't mean I made it happen. And just because God, you know, He knows the end from the beginning, it doesn't mean He's making all these things happen. And sometimes we do. We see horrible things happen to people. And it's not always God doing it to people. It's just that is what happens when we sin. And what you should do is not get mad at God when bad things happen. You should get mad at yourself for not listening to God when He warned us, telling us to stay away from sin because sin has negative effects. It has severe consequences. And yet, how many times do people get angry and they get mad at God because of bad stuff that happens to them? It's like, well, you know what? If you just listen to the Word of God, if you just listen to the preaching of the Word of God, you would have been fine. And if something bad happens and... You know, and I call it, alright? It's not that I made it happen. It's just I'm telling you what the Bible says. And so you can't kill the messenger when that happens. But we do see in the Bible that killing the messenger was a common thing that the Jews did. Remember when Jesus is getting on to them and He's talking, you know, talking about them killing the prophets. You know, and you say, you know, if we'd have been in the days of our Father, we wouldn't do that. But He's like, no, you, you do it too. And then they killed the greatest of them all, Jesus Christ. They act like they never would have done that, but they did worse than all of their fathers did before them. They killed Jesus Christ because they didn't like the message. But you know what? God's got to, He's got to tell the truth. Jesus Christ can't tell the truth. You know, if we deny Him, yet He abided faithful, He cannot deny Himself. You know, we can say all we want, 
that the Word of God is not true. We can say all we want that you know God's not faithful. But you know what? God is never going to veer off from the truth and line up with us. He's got to tell the truth and that's all He can do. So, I think that's a great example of that. And if He, if he gives something to His messenger like He did the prophets, or if I preach something that's from the Word of God and, I, and it just completely calls what's going to happen, I'm warning you against the destruction and misery that's going to come from a certain sin, I didn't make it happen. I just told you what the Bible said. And that's it. And God didn't make it happen to you either. You made it happen because you sinned. Death came into the world by man's sin. It didn't come into the world by God. God told them not to eat of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they ate it and man brought sin into the world because of that. But what God did, God ended up making a way of salvation even though man had sinned. And thank God for that. It's amazing how much we blame God for the bad stuff, but we forget about all the good stuff. You know, We blame God for the bad stuff forgetting that it's our fault that there is bad stuff. And we forget to thank God that He makes a way for good stuff to happen. So, uh, some good stuff there. But look at verse 12. And I've heard, this, I've heard this preached on before by other preachers. Just this verse. It says, Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the kingdom of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. Now, you know, what in the world does that mean? Okay, a shepherd taking out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear. Now, what happens with that lamb if it's been in the mouth of the lion and all the shepherd gets is two legs and a piece of an ear? Is it safe to say that lion or that lamb is history? All right. Now, what good is a lamb is two legs and an ear to a shepherd? I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, you know what what good is that? So why is he even trying to get it from the lion? Well, one thing that we see today is, you know, if, for example, you know, some one of us got eaten by an animal, you know, they don't just say, well, the animal got it, let's just let it go. No, they usually kill the animal, and you know what? They 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 work very hard to get whatever human remains are left. Why? Because we care about those people, right? We care about them. And if something happened to one of your loved ones where their body got mangled and they got in a car wreck and there was like a, you know, an arm and a leg out on the side of the road, not trying to be gory or anything. But you know what? You're not going to be like, well, they're dead. Let's just leave the arm and leg for the bugs. No, you're going to, you're going to go take it, aren't you? You know, you're, you're, you're going to let it get gathered up and you're going to bury what's left. All right. You know, you're going to salvage what's left. You're not going to, you know, while it's just a leg that's no good without the rest of the body, hey, that was a leg of your loved one. You care about it, right? And I've heard this preached often how you know God will take us after you know we've been torn apart and there's pretty much you know there's really nothing left, at least nothing of any value, but yet He'll take us, you know, and He loves us and He restores us. And I think that's a great principle. I think that's fine to preach that. Nothing wrong with that. But specifically. What I think this is symbolic of here is this judgment that was going to come on Israel was going to be one that was really going to destroy most of them. I mean, most of this northern kingdom is going to die. It's going to be a horrible end. But you know what? God loves. He loved Israel. He loved those. He loved His people. And even though they were wicked, even though they were going to be destroyed, there was going to be a remnant left. Not every Israelite was killed. 
you know, when the Assyrians came through. There were people that were left. And you know what? With the people that were left, God took those people and eventually He restored them to the land, didn't He? And you say, well, you can't do anything with just two legs or a piece of an ear. Well, you know what? The Creator can. Alright? The, the Creator can. And I said, I, and I think that's just kind of symbolic of, you know, most of Israel is done for. Most of Israel is going to be gone, but the Lord is going to salvage whatever He can. And you know what? It's the same thing even today. Look at Romans chapter 11 and verse 1. Romans, it's the same thing with Israel today. So, you know, we've, we've already talked about just how much bad Israel has done. You know, they rejected the Messiah. But yet, God made a promise to, you know, their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we see in the Bible that there has always been a remnant of believers. There's always been some. Even today, there are people that are, that are of Jewish descent that are saved, that, that believe on Christ. And it says in Romans 11, verse 1, because if you look at the previous chapters before this, he has said quite a bit against Israel. And so, he's, Paul's saying here, he said, I say then, hath God cast away His people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul's saying, they're not cast away or they're not reprobate. He saved me. Okay, The very fact that Paul was saved was proof that Jews could be saved. Jews are not reprobates. God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. Walk ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And sadly, people take that chapter and they make it like, you know, the, you know, the Jews of today are still God's people. But that passage right there very clearly says, no, at this present time, this isn't something about the future, at this present time, there is a remnant of collection of grace. What does that mean? It means there's some Jews that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's saying, I'm one of them. Okay? And the way to be a people of God is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's teaching there is just they're not reprobate. As much as they've done, God is still able to save them. And so that I think that's a great thing. And there always has been a remnant. And there always will be. So look at what it says in verse 13 of Amos chapter 3. And this is, I think this is something interesting. I never noticed this before. But it says, Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgression of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground, and I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the house, uh, houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Alright? Now, I read that part and I was like, what is that talking about exactly? And, you know, I wish I could tell you, I know the Bible so well, when I saw that, I immediately remember back to a previous story. Because remember what I've been saying the last two weeks? How Amos, it's kind of showing the end of the story of a lot of things. Because there was all these bad things that happened in Israel's history with other nations. And then in Amos here, we're seeing judgment finally being pronounced on them for all the wickedness that they have done. 
Well, we see throughout you know First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, many judgments come down on Israel because of the sins that they had done. And right here, God is bringing up a prophecy. He's repeating a prophecy that had been given over 300 years before. And uh, the way I, I'll, I'll submit, so I didn't get it from being smart. The way I found it is I just went and I, I just searched altars of Bethel on my word search program. And I was reading all of the altars of Bethel. And I saw what this is referring to. I, I never noticed this before, but I think it's very interesting. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. And in verse 1, this is a this is a pretty well-known story right here, okay? So let me just kind of do a reminder. So remember when the kingdom split during Rehoboam's time, the northern kingdom, that was Israel, okay? So Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom. I, I think I referred to him last week or maybe the week before. Jeroboam, I mean, he unfortunately, he did bad. He's the one that made the two golden calves. He did bad, and as a result of it, we see here in 1 Kings 13, God sends that prophet. And remember the story God sent the prophet. He told him, don't eat anything, don't drink anything. You go in and then you give your prophecy. On your way out, you leave the same way you came and you don't eat anything. But then that old prophet came along and he lied to him and said, an angel told me to tell you to come eat with me. I don't know. I think he was just. I think you know why I think the old prophet lied to him. I think it's the same reason the old prophets are taking pot shots at our group all the time. They were jealous that God was speaking through him, verse instead of through the old prophet. What's God doing using this young whippersnapper? I was his prophet all these years, and now God's using him instead of me. That's what I personally think. That's just my that's my opinion. But then if you remember the story, he went and ate, and then all of a sudden God decides to use the old prophet again. And he tells that man, hey, because you listen to me, you're going to die on your way out. And then a lion went and killed him. You may remember that. But uh, read all First Kings 13. You'll see that story. We don't have time to go through the whole story. But look what it says. In, so in verse 1, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand which he had put forth against him dried up so that he could not pull it again to him. So just imagine seeing that. You know, here comes the young punk prophet, you know, as the old prophets would call him. And he goes and he calls out the king. He gives the prophecy that God told him to give. You know, the king, in his pride, you know, cries out to basically seize the guy and his hand gets stuck can't move it. And he calls out to the prophet, you know, pray that my hand will be restored, you know, like a total wimp. And then, of course, the prophet did and his hand was restored. And so, but basically right here, this is that prophecy. And think about this. Okay? This is the beginning of the northern kingdom. The story that we're reading here in 1 Kings chapter 13, 
This is the beginning of the northern kingdom. And because of Jeroboam's sin, God sends this prophet along to come and pronounce this judgment and he, and he specifically mentions how, you know, that that altar was going to be destroyed. Men's bones were going to be burnt. That was something that God specifically mentioned. And then, so we don't have time to go through all of 1 Kings chapter 13, but if you continue reading that story, after that man died, that young prophet, because he disobeyed the Lord, after he died, they went and they, it specifically mentions them burying that man. And you might remember that old prophet, you know, he said, when I die, he requested that his bones be buried, or that he be buried with that uh, young prophet. And so it's just interesting that the Bible mentions all that because, turn over to 2 Kings chapter 23. So, remember, part of that prophecy there was he said, there's going to be a child born in the house of David, Josiah by name. Okay? It's very rare you see in the Bible where it does a prophecy about someone and it names them. The only time I can think of is right here about Josiah, and then there was a prophecy specifically about Cyrus where it specifically tells the name of the one that was going to be born. There, there could be others. Those are the only two I can think of off the top of my head. But look at 2 Kings 23, verse 15. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, he made both that altar and the high priest, he break down and burned the high place and stamped it small to powder and burned the grove and as Josiah turned himself, he spied the sepulchers that were in the mount and sent and took the bones out of the sepulchers and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What title is that that I see? And the many of the city told him, It is the sepulcher of the man of God which came from Judah and proclaimed these things and that, that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel and he said, let him alone, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet that came out of Samaria. So you see what happened right there? Josiah didn't even know about this. Okay, This wasn't like the Muslims and the Jews who are always trying to fulfill prophecies. Okay, It wasn't like what the Jews are trying to do today on the 70th anniversary. Uh, I read about today on May 14th on the 70th anniversary of them becoming a nation. They're finally going to move the United States Embassy there, and people are trying to act like that's fulfillment of prophecy. Nowhere in the Bible do you find a prophecy about the 70th anniversary of the United States moving, you know, you know, their embassy to Jerusalem. All right, that's just foolishness right there. But we do see it today where they're always trying to do things to fulfill prophecy, and it's always a counterfeit. It's always fake. It's never the real thing. I've even seen Baptists there doing some things some other time where they're literally trying to fulfill prophecies that they completely have mixed up. But right here, Josiah, he wasn't trying to fulfill that prophecy. If you remember, you know, Josiah right here now is having a house cleaning, okay? Because remember Josiah, he became king at eight years old, but he loved the Lord, his heart was like his father David. And then when he got older, they were reading the book of the law to him and he ran his clothes, he's like, Man, we got to go to town on this stuff. We need to fix these things. And he just starts cleaning house. He's just being obedient and he just happens to do something that was prophesied that they were going to do. He didn't even realize what he was doing. But it's just amazing and it just shows the knowledge of God that 300 years before, the young punk prophet came through and called it. 
He called exactly what was going to happen. He said the name of the king that was going to do it. And, I mean, it, it was really an amazing thing. You know, and, it, and think about that prophecy too. You know how vague that, that was? Or, you know how, or not vague, but you know how specific that was? That was really specific. And that is exactly what happened. 300 years later, Israel's forgotten about it. The king doesn't even know about it. But guess who didn't forget about it? God didn't forget about it. You know, we can try to act like we forgot about some of the things that God has prophesied and the judgments that are coming our way. But God's not going to forget these things. God's words are going to come to pass. There is nothing we can do to stop God's words uh, from coming to pass. And that is exactly what happened here in a scary, specific way. I mean, what are the odds? You know, I, you know what do people who don't believe the Bible and the authority of the Word of God, what do they do with a passage like that? Let's go back. Look, Amos chapter 3 and verse 14. So he says, "...that in that day I shall visit the transgressions of Israel. Upon him I will also visit the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar and shall be cut off and fall to the ground." Right there. Remember again, this is shortly before the Assyrians come and they end up destroying Israel. And it's just interesting that that first sin that they did, all right, you know, under that first king, Jeroboam, that first prophecy that came against them, it didn't get fulfilled until the very end. And while, you know, I don't, and I don't fully understand the significance of destroying that altar and everything, and I don't want to, you know, read too much into this or more than I should, but I think it's safe to say that when we look at that young prophet's prophecy that he made, right there was basically him, I believe, prophesying the destruction of the northern kingdom. The destruction of Israel. And it's sad because of the fact that if you go back and you read the stories before that about Jeroboam, Jeroboam was a good man. Jeroboam was somebody that loved God and was highly favored of God. And Jeroboam, he was told... God told him that if he would serve the Lord, if he would follow God like David, that God would establish the kingdom in his family forever. But you know what? I mean, the first generation messed up. In fact, it didn't even matter. All he had to do was just serve the Lord all his life and the kingdom would have stayed in his family just like it did David's. If you go and you follow the, the line, the genealogies through the southern kingdom, the kings were always descendants of David. Why? Because David had a heart that followed the Lord. And so God preserved his line and he kept them in the kingdom. And you know what? Eventually, and that line is going to be there forever because guess who the next king of Israel is going to be? It's going to be Jesus Christ. And he's going to reign on the throne. And you know, he'll be, he'll be king forever. And he's in the line of David. But with Jeroboam, Jeroboam didn't even last his generation. Jeroboam, he got nervous because he was afraid the north people in his kingdom were going to go to Jerusalem to worship, and they would if they went there. He was afraid they were going to start you know following after their gods and and loving their king. And so he went and he decided to come up with his own form of worship. He made the two golden calves, and of course that upset God greatly. And God sends this prophet to basically come and not only prophesy his end, but prophesy that that kingdom was going to come to an end. And three, roughly 300 years later, that is exactly what happened. 
in just scary, a scary specific way. And so Amos 3.14, God here is reminding them of a prophecy that I believe they had forgotten. I, th- I, think, I think it's very safe to say they had forgotten about that prophecy. You know why? Because it had been 300 years. Well, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. And you know, we see Peter, he talks about that in the last days that were going to come scoffers walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were. We see that same attitude today of people who are there going through life and because things aren't immediately happening, God's not immediately punishing them, they think that everything's fine. They think that God failed to keep His promise, but you know what? God cannot fail. God cannot lie. God will always keep His promises. And sure enough, we do see... If you read, uh, well, the, that story of Josiah where he was doing his thing, you know, that was shortly after, um, you know, the Assyrians had taken over. After they had already destroyed them, and then they went through there, and he's, he's cleaning house throughout Israel, and he went and did exactly according to the word of the Lord. So once again, we see God keeps his promises. Always. That can be exciting, that can be scary too. Okay? You know, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Well, that can be that can actually be exciting if we're sowing good things. The Bible says we'll reap if we paint not. But if we're sowing to the flesh, then we should be scared. We see in the and we so we don't see it in this chapter, we don't see it in the book of Amos, but we do see when we read Second Kings and Second Chronicles, God did deal with Israel in a very severe way. We do see them go through some very very horrible times. But understand, they asked for every bit of it. We read stories where they were sacrificing their children to the god Molech. When you look at the kings in the northern kingdom, I mean, probably the only you know, good king... That, I think they only had one good king. There was any, I think Jehu was, was about it. And even his ways, I think, were kind of questionable. You know, Remember the story where he declared a feast for Baal and told everybody, hey, if you don't come to this feast, we're going to kill you. And then he killed everybody that showed up, showed up to the feast. I mean, I guess that's a good way to you know, weed out the phonies. But it's, I was like, I don't, I don't know, that just seems a little, a little, little sneaky there. I guess it might, might be fine. You know, a lot of times we see them do very questionable things in the Bible. And the Bible, when it, you know, it's not always condoning what they did. It's just telling us what they did. All right? It's just history. In fact, Sunday I'm probably going to be uh, preaching on a story like that where somebody did something very disturbing. And people get very confused when they see that because they get the idea when you read it that it was like a good thing for them to do. But it's like, no, the Bible's not saying it was a good thing. The Bible's just telling us what he did. And it just happened to be really bad. But... That will be either next Sunday morning or the next Sunday night. We'll see. We'll see what happens. A little, little teaser right there. But we do. We need. We need to learn from this. Amos right here is. The chickens are coming home to roost for everybody, and it, that's exactly what's happening to Israel. It's only a short time, and the things that he's prophesying were going to come to pass. And you know what? Israel had no excuse to cry about it, because. God had warned them about it 300 years ago, didn't He? They had 300 years to get right. And they didn't. They just ignored it. And it finally caught up with them. 
And you know, we we need to learn from that, and we need to make sure God doesn't have to tell us 45 times. Whenever we do have judgment pronounced on us, or whenever God we do something wrong, you know what we need to do? We need to ask for God's mercy like right away. You know, we need to try. To, we need to get right right away. The quicker we get it over with, the better. Same thing with David. Remember when he after he numbered the people, God gave him three choices. And I don't remember them all. I, don't, I won't get it exactly right, but there was like a three days of a famine, three months, or maybe it was three three years. No, it was three years of a famine, three months of being chased by his enemies, I think, or three days of a plague or something. And he chose the three days. He wanted the short one. He's like, I want to get it over with, you know. And you know, and he because he's like, yo, I don't want to fall into the hands of my enemies, but God's merciful. And you know what, David was right. Because when God, when he did do that, and God, I mean, he hammered them big time. But you know what? God stopped the angel. God didn't do what he was fully going to do. I think because you know he saw that David had gotten right. And I, and if if we just wait, it's only going to make things worse. So Amos chapter three, I think what we're seeing in here is a forgotten prophecy repeated. And sure enough, we see in the Bible it came to pass. But God says something's going to happen. It's going to happen. End of story. So, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the warnings that You give, dear God. And I pray You'll help us to take advantage of these things. And I pray that we'll get right quickly. We won't wait, Lord, and uh, just uh, you know, kick the can down the road, Lord. But You'll just help us to uh, just uh, you know, beg for mercy right away. And Lord, know, and we know that You are merciful and You are good to us. And I just pray, Lord, that we'll also uh, take this story... And let it be a reminder that you keep your promises and you're going to keep the good ones. Lord, we know you're coming back one of these days. And uh, Lord, you promised we're going to reap if we faint not. And so I pray you'll help us to uh, be comforted by these. And, and I just pray that you'll bless everyone for it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.